Hello and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. Well, my big news this week is that Notions 11, my first stand-up special recorded at Vicker Street on March 6th, just before the pandemic hit, is now available to stream globally on the RTE International Player. Wherever you are in the world, you can watch this hour of stand-up comedy for free. And uh, all you need is the RTE Player app on your phone, smart TV or tablet. Sit down, we all need a laugh in these crazy days. On Friday night, I had Darrow, Breen, Zoe, Lines, Joe Wilkinson and Lost Voice Guy at the Return of the Crack Comedy Club. And that was an absolute tonic. So if you need a bit of laughter in your life, give it a try. Notions 11, my brand new stand-up special, now streaming for free for the first time globally on the RTE player wherever you are in the world. Well, Colin O'Donoghue is a man that has travelled the world. He's currently the star of a brilliant new Disney Plus series, The Right Stuff. It tells the story of the first NASA astronauts, and he plays Gordon Cooper. It's an incredible story, incredible character, and just beautifully done, down to the finest details. You probably know, uh, you probably know Colin, though, from... Uh, Once Upon a Time or The Right, the movie that he starred in opposite Anthony Hopkins that really broke him out into the world. And I guess the story that we cover here today is how he got there, how that all came to be and the years that led to it, the years after, the difficult times that he had along the way and the near misses, the close calls, the tryouts, the auditions that didn't go his way, nearly went his way and then landing on Once Upon a Time the comfort in the cosiness in that incredible series and the years that he spent there opposite Robert Carlyle and many others playing the role of Captain Hook it's an extraordinary story this Drahada man is one of the soundest guests we've had on in a long, long time I think you'll enjoy the full episode if you enjoy this first half an hour. The only way to hear it is on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. We've hundreds more episodes for you in our archive over there, including Paul Meskel, Sharon Horgan, Lisa Hannigan, Dylan Moran, and lots more actors. There's so much in there that I, I couldn't even do it justice by describing a few of them here. I always feel bad leaving people out when I mention the archive, but it's all there for you to enjoy over on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad our chosen charity partner i love to give them a shout out is jigsaw.ie and on this mother's day i am running 10 kilometers with sonia o'sullivan my athletics coach and yours on the irishman running abroad we do events every month and this Lent she has created three Lent events and today's is the first, our Mother's Day 10k. It's not too late to sign up. Head over to strava.com forward slash clubs forward slash Irishmanabroad and sign up. We've also got a St. Patrick's Day 5k and an event for the final week of Easter. Sonia has really changed my life over the course of this as someone that had never run before. You really want to give it a listen. Bit of crack with Sonia every Tuesday. And of course, Marion every Friday with her Irishman in America series, which is going down a new path now as we look at some of the most notable incidents and scandals in the history of America with Marion McKeown. Don't miss that on a Friday. It's exclusive to our patrons on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's go down to business. Now, your programme, what's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. 
I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Colin O'Donoghue, thank you so much for doing Irish Man Abroad. It's a uh, it's a strange time to talk to you, but I understand you've got the you got the house back to yourself, kids back at school, and I guess are you preparing for the next big job, or is this full on downtime for you? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, first off, but uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a slightly slightly more complicated situation i just had a show come out on, on disney plus uh, the right stuff so it's kind of i guess we were lucky to get that finished before the whole um, pandemic hit we literally finished it in the december and then everything began to you know spiral out of mm. control i guess from mid-january on and certainly march whatever was a definite no-no so but the show came out in october november of last year so i was lucky to have finished an actual project you know in time but yeah, I'm kind of, uh, it's downtime at the minute for me, but with a sort of, with a, there's a caveat, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of, yes, it's downtime, but we might, you know, we're just sort of waiting to see what's what's going on with the, with the second season of, of that. Well, it is an unbelievable series, I, I have to say. It's so, Thanks very much. It's so beautiful to start with. We need to just talk about how beautiful it is. The first thing my my son said was, yeah, I love the cars. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's the first, that's the first thing I said as well. <laughs> yeah, you the know. fine detail, like the absolute minutia that they went into to make this appear accurate. But there's one aspect that, you know, is your job specifically with this character uh, of Gordon Cooper is getting into mm. his headspace. I mean, these men were being strapped to atomic missiles know, and yeah. shot into the air. One out of three it's, test it's pilots wild. at the time would die. What was yeah. in this man's mind to think, yep, that's for me? Well, I mean, that's the whole what the right stuff is, you know, and I know that that sounds like a, a kind of a, a cop at answer, but it's not because it, that's the mentality. Mm. It, it, it's, it's, I, it's hard to quantify really what that is because I'm only portraying him. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, I don't have, I don't have that, but for those guys, I spoke to, um, you know, we did some training. I came on very last minute to the, to the show. Somebody had been cast in the role and, Unfortunately, it didn't work out, or fortunately for me, you know, for him. So I had three days before I started shooting. I didn't prepare. know that. Holy moly, um, that must have been daunting. Yeah. It was crazy, you know, it was kind of a crazy one because then he's got a very specific sort of mm -hmm. accent and, and all that kind of thing. But, scenario, uh, I mean, I was thrilled. His, his scenario is yeah. very specific as well. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, when it comes to that thing of, of what the what the right stuff is, you know, the fighter pilots I spoke to kind of, 
you know, I said, what happens if one of your buddies dies? And they said, well, it's happened to all of us. You have to get straight back in the plane. If you, if you think about it too much, you won't fly again. You have to get straight back in a plane and get up into the air because you didn't die, hmm. which makes you in, it, it sounds very callous, which makes you a better pilot, which makes you have the right stuff. The fact that that didn't happen to you because these guys, you know, especially back then, what they were doing was they were testing out planes that had like the engineers built, but nobody had ever flown them. Completely so they, they were the guys who were machines. completely untested. That's what they were. They were the test pilots and they had to write the, the manual, you know what I mean? And push it to the absolute limit, to the brink of where the bolts would start shaking and the wings and stuff like that. And I mean, I can't imagine doing that, but that's the mentality that makes you somebody who's willing to sit on top of hmm. essentially an atomic, an atomic bomb with the, just with the nuclear sort of reactor taken out of it and sent off. In. Yeah, the, the Irish attitude and the attitude that a lot of our dads would have said to us is, oh, they're all mad. They're just mad in the head. And there's obviously more to it than that. And sometimes when I talk to jockeys, I, I can remember being told that you know, national hunt jockeys are all a bit mad and they have to be a bit mad. There probably is. It's just a catch all word, though, isn't it, for lacking a certain red light that the rest of us see? Yeah. And I think, I mean, you could say it's madness or you could say it's bravery. You know what I mean? Like, mm. uh, I, I, I couldn't imagine myself, you know, going into war and facing people with machine guns firing at me, but people do it. I think that's madness. But on that side, on the other side, it's brave. You know, it's bravery it's as well. Mm. It's courage. You know, I think that certainly for these guys, there probably was an element of what we would say is madness. But, you know, these guys were hard drinking, hard living, pushing everything to the limit, you know, and that was sort of, what that what that life was for those guys but they'd all they'd all been to war the most of them and and you know you have to have a certain element of craziness but then you know to fly like a plane that could potentially a wing could fall off you know but then without that we wouldn't have planes now you mm. know so then they're pioneers so what's the difference between somebody who's mad or somebody who then is a pioneer. Do, do you get what I mean? I do, I do. There you is know, a no. fine line and there's a blurriness yeah, there. If that makes any sense. Yeah, there is, there is definitely a bit of a... Yeah. Uh, it's madness. Uh, I'll put it to you like this. It's, ma it's madness if they die. <laughs> it's madness to do it. Yeah. But if they succeed and it changes the face of things, then they're, then, then they're a pioneer. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Then they're courageous genii. Yeah. Let me ask yeah. you though about the, the hard drinking side of it because... Some will watch the right stuff and go, Ash, that's just top, you know, the, the drinking end of this thing. Mm. You couldn't be drinking like that and doing uh, the physical activity that they were doing. And, you know, to those people, I'd say, just look at 1970s football. But yeah, seriously, yeah. The, these guys were drinking and smoking uh, to a large extent. Oh, listen, they, they, they would drink a bottle of whiskey and then go up and fly a plane. <sighs> You know, what? like, yeah, and they'd race car. Like some of the stuff that wasn't even in the show was absolutely insane that they did. You know, they they drag races with their Corvettes. They've, you know, there's just, there's just, it's madness. And this is all after 
a huge amount of drinking. But, you know, like, we're, we're also, I'm not condoning mm. drinking a bottle of whiskey, flying a plane or driving a car. But it was a different time back then. You, you know, you could do that. The amazing thing is that, you know, they could do all that. They could drink as much as they want. They could do whatever and, and fly a plane, but they couldn't be separated or seen to be have a relationship that was, you know, not appropriate, like either a divorce or a separation in, and still be a test pilot or still be in the sort of army or, or, or the, the Naval Air Force or whatever. So they had to be these all-American kind of wholesome guys on top of that. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, most of them slept around and stuff as well. But yeah, they had to, when it came to that sort of family side of things, yeah, you couldn't be. And that's kind of why Gordon Cooper, uh, not spoiling it for anyone, you see it in the first episode, Gordon and, and his wife Trudy, in reality, were actually separated and essentially lived a lie, uh, pretended to be Hmm. happily married for the sake of staying in the in the space program and getting into it well uh, we 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 could talk about it all day i mean uh, it's yeah. it's such a riveting series i really urge people that it's it's worth the disney plus subscription on its own like on top yeah. of that you're also going to get the Muppet shows <laughs> all of that that's it yeah. it's a good it's yeah. a good quality subscription but let me, let me ask you a couple more questions about the right stuff because it is just a fascinating thing they were sold the idea that if you pull this off you were going to be the most famous person <laughs> in the world and well actually they, they I, actually, I'm not wanting to cut across it. They, no. they weren't sold being the fame. It was about the glory of the being glory. the first yes. person in space. The difference was that the fame that they achieved was completely out of the realms of possibility for back then, because the only people who were that famous were royalty and, and movie stars. Mm. And those seven guys ended up becoming the seven most famous people on the planet at one point. And, you know, they didn't know it was a whole different world back then where you know people had no idea what that was and exactly they ended it was up, kind of the beginnings you know, of fame yeah itself. they were the first kind of they celebs. were the first kind, kind of really celebs that were i guess ordinary i mean they were pilots or whatever but i guess ordinary people who all of a sudden were thrust into a level of fame that you i mean you couldn't even imagine it i don't even think people can imagine it now i, I can't think of anyone who you know, had so much pressure and also the pressure on them to have to be the best and be the greatest essential, essentially human being at that time, you know. Yeah, but there, uh, there is a crossover to your own life there in that the the astronauts of the period, as you say, were viewed as these are normal people who've just done an extraordinary thing. And mm -hmm. to an extent, the actors, the musicians, and to a lesser extent, the comedians uh, are, uh, are it's an attainable thing that it's like, well, you, you know, you don't need certain uh, advantages in your upbringing that you can you this this is attainable for people across all walks of life. Mm -hmm. And it's also pedestaled in the same way as astronauts were at the time. Like now that you're where you are, and I know that's a hard thing 
to gauge for yourself because you're still Colin. Mm-hmm. Are you much more conscious of how people treat you so much differently now than they did? That's yeah. I guess I just I guess I don't think about it. You know, um, uh, uh, I mean, I, I sort of I don't. Yeah, I I, I don't really know. Well, let me I put guess, it to you this in way, way because I know this is hard. This is a tough one, but I, I remember Louis C.K. God rest him, mm-hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, saying that he can remember going to comedy clubs when he wasn't the headliner. And then he can remember yeah. going to comedy clubs when he was there for the week and the place is booked out and they put him in the five star hotel and they can't stop bringing him water uh, and whatever you want, hmm. Miss, Mr. CK, that's that's no problem. And it was jarring for him because it was like uh, uh, he knew who they re- how they would normally treat him. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, look, I like I still uh, live in Ireland and the only time I really, I guess I thought about something like that was when I when I first started in Once Upon a Time and I hadn't seen the first season of the show. I came on the second season and I didn't realise that I think in that first season they were getting over 30 million people a week watching it and so something astronomical, huge figures. And I went to Comic-Con with the show and we were in one of the big, big halls and and it was sold out and I went what the what is this you know and uh, like that's I guess that's the only thing but I kind of found you know I I sort of I go I go do I go do the my work and I I absolutely love it and I'm grateful for it and, and I come home to my family I don't you know I'm not going out partying I'm not going out sort of looking to you know, go to bars and and clubs where I know potentially what you is there that somebody. Do, do, do you yeah, get me? you're it's trying. Kind of, you're, you're not think, wandering around trying to rinse it for all it's worth. No, no, and you know that's just the way the way it's been. Don't get me wrong. I love going to a bar or a pub, but it's more local uh, <laughs> than that. Yeah, but, and um, we know the people that do that. We know the places that people used to be able yeah. to go to to find that. But you specifically yeah. don't do it. Yeah, I've, I guess I've never thought. Yeah, I, I, I'd never really do it. I mean, don't get don't get me wrong. I've you know been been stopped and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just kind of think, oh, that's mad that somebody watched something I was in, and, mm. and it's great. I mean, that's what you want. You want people to watch your shows. You know, that's the one thing I can never understand if if people get really annoyed with it. It's like, well they're the people who are keeping you in a job and, and essentially putting food on your table. So, you know. Yeah, I do. That there, there has to be a respect paid to those people because without them watching the show, there is no show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's certain, there's certain times that we're, where it can get a little bit out of hand and then, and then you want to sort of step away from it. But, you know, in general, in general, most people just want to have a photograph and say hello. And that's, that's it, really. I often get uh, asked by uh, people who are starting out in comedy, when does it get easier? Or starting out in podcasting, when does it get easier? Uh, as in, like, when do I reach a point where it stops mm-hmm. being such hard work? And my answer is always the same. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. It gets more challenging. No. The yeah, challenges are greater. 
but because you love it, they don't feel like challenges. So if you don't love it at the start, quit now. Was yeah. it was it was the is it the same way for for acting? I feel like once the grow is there and you you had a love at first sight moment with it. I couldn't do anything else. You know what I mean? It's it's and, and you've hit the nail on the head. It doesn't get easier. It gets, you know, it, it, it's a different it's a different thing. And, and sometimes the disappointments are even even more mm. because it's because it's 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 for something higher, higher profile, I guess, for want of a better term or, or, or getting close to where you feel, you know, you, you wanted your career to go. Uh, when you were starting, like, I mean, I I sort of worked as a, a, a jobbing actor for ten years before I I got my first movie role, and you know that was in two thousand and nine, and I was doing plays, touring around the country. Some some of the best work I feel like I've done, and maybe only having thirty people in an audience. You, you know what I mean? And but but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I never, I never wanted to do anything else, you know, mm. and you get, and you used to get close to it. Like you go through periods where you might not work for a year. I mean, I know that this whole pandemic thing is a slightly different, but as an actor, you know, you might do a play and you might know that you're good enough to do something, but it doesn't work out that way. And, and then you're out of work for a year and then you're like, right, should I give up or should I not? But there's always something in the back of your mind saying, no, 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 this is, this is you. This is, this is who you are. This is, this is what you do. Man, it's, uh, it's great to hear you say it because I know that there'll be loads of people listening, particularly in this time, feeling that like creatives, mm-hmm. artists who are probably getting pressure from all angles to go. Yeah. No, this doesn't make any sense anymore. This is a new world get busy retraining. So yeah. it's really timely to hear you say it. And that uh, sometimes I think when you hear actors say and comedians say, I remember playing for five people and I still loved it then. It's not a cliche and it's not a thing that you're just saying to be able to say, is it? No, like the, sometimes those shows where there's only 30 people there are, are weirdly more magical because it does feel like that group and that group only will experience that performance in the mm. way that performance took place on that night, specifically because there was only 30 people there and because it felt yeah. more personal. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's I'm not saying it because to, to, to be cliched, I, I was and there were periods where I was out of work for a year at a time. I mean, when I. When I when I got the right, uh, which was the movie I was talking about with Anthony Hopkins, and when I got that, I was I think I was down to I just had enough to cover my mortgage for the next month, and that was it. And and that was I hadn't worked for over a year at the time, and I I just got married, and I, and I was I was giving up. That was I, it, that was the last throw of the dice. I remember thinking, if I don't get this, that's it. I'm gonna I have to you, I have to. You actually had that thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't continue to, to be brokenhearted about about stuff, you know. But yeah, you always, you know, it's like that thing where there's, 
would I, I don't know if I would have given up. That's that's the thing. But that was in the back of my mind because, you know, you kind of, I was lucky that my, my wife and uh, my family have always been really supportive. And I'm lucky because there are people who don't have that. And for those people who don't have that support, you know, in the back of your mind and in your gut, I think, if something is for you, mm. you know what I mean? And, and I don't mean a job. I mean, the life you know, the lifestyle of an actor or, or a comedian or a musician. And they're all incredibly difficult things. You know what I mean? But you know it. You can feel it, you know. Mm. And and if you have that, then it's, it's, it's hard to give that up. Hard to let, let go of that. I know. I know you're a big Star Wars fan and we're certainly growing up. And that that thing that you're describing this, you know, it is a feeling. It's, as they kept saying in the final Star Wars movie, it is a feeling. You can't really yeah. write it down or no. or say it. It's just something you either you either know or you, or you don't. And I guess you, you kind of have to trust it, right? There's, there's that bit of trust mm. involved. One thing, though, is the is the overreach, right? That while you have that feeling inside you, you arrive on the set of the right Anthony Hopkins is opposite you. And as you said, it, it's the last. This is it. I've got this now, but I don't want to blow it. Because as you say, mm. sometimes actors don't work out in roles and people get brought yeah, in to replace yeah. actors. So you're there, right? On this set, your first movie uh, opposite this absolute legend who, mm -hmm. if he vouches for you, I mean, you're golden. It's like being a made man in Goodfellas. How yeah, much I, is is the do you have to resist the urge to try really hard? Well, I, you know, I have to go back to I, I it was a it was a process getting getting that role that really uh, long sort of there were plenty of hoops to go through. And, and the final sort of hoop was, you know, I've been in the mix before uh, before uh, uh, Tony or had, had signed on and um, uh, one of the last things once he signed on they, they wanted me to read opposite him and that was when I was really panicked because <laughs> it was make or break and mm. I'll never forget it was in a, a hotel in, in Santa Monica I think it's called Shutters on the beach and I was there before everybody which sometimes makes me even more nervous because, you know, and uh, I was I was told where to go for the room by the, you know, the, at the desk. And I went in and there was I had to go to the loo and I went in and I said, right, I'm going to give myself 10 seconds to panic in here on my own <laughs> because I have to get it out of my system. Yeah. Because, you know, because this is the, this is the shot. I knew that that was the that was the moment mm. because yeah, this is if, your you know, M&M eight mile moment. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, mean, I knew that they wouldn't have, they wouldn't waste mm. Anthony Hopkins' time reading opposite an unknown actor unless it was really close, uh, you know. And yeah. the decision essentially was his, you know. So I came out and I, I walked out just as he was walking in with the producers, and uh, he came up to me and he, and he gave me a hug. He and um, he was filming Thor at the time. Uh, this, I think it was the second tour movie and he had the big white beard and stuff. And uh, he came up to me and he gave me, the first thing he, was, he gave me a hug and he said, Colin, let's just play and have fun. And I was like, oh, 
the Thank relief. God. <laughs> because, yeah, because you just don't know, you know, you just don't know who the person is that you're going to meet. You know the persona, but you don't know who the person is. And in that moment, I knew that right then uh, he was on my side. So, you know, depending on how good or bad I did in the scene, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have known how he was at the end, but I knew that in that moment he was on my side. So I could, I could kind of relax into it a little bit more. Mm. Um, There's so then, much in that though, know, Colin. Let me cut in yeah. there myself because there's just so much in that that is kind of unsaid and so perfect and explains who Sir Anthony Hopkins is because yeah. he wanted you to do well. He is a team player. He is, oh, yeah. He is, his motivation isn't for me to be Anthony Hopkins and you to remain the, you know, the, the small rung on the ladder. He wants to elevate it together and yeah that that level of soundness if you want to use a better word it, it must be fundamental to you know just being great at this job yeah i mean look you come across people who are great and, and they're not like that they do want to be the star so there you have it a little juicy taster of the colin o'donoghue episode this gets uh, this gets really fun as we delve into his past and some of the funnier stories of being on set as Captain Hook in Once Upon a Time. You do not want to miss it. Come on over. I need your support. The podcast needs your support and you won't regret it. You'll be getting an awful lot in return. Three podcasts a week, monthly comedy clubs, access to the archive, bonus series and lots, lots more. Our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. Brian Connolly's on production. John Mark does the extra research Tina and Mikey make it all possible and our patrons are the lifeblood of this show over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad